Greetings on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing around the world. You can do so by going to traincpe.org or you can follow all the links from our webpage at breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll also learn about our church fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and it's from that fellowship that we share with you God's Word. If you have followed the last two broadcasts, you'll see that we have covered a complicated history in the nation of Israel from Isaiah 22. In that complexity, we have a prophecy introduced to us of the Messiah as the key of David. This is the name given to the Messiah also in Revelation 3.8. He is the intricate key that answers all the complex needs of our life. Here's the fourth thing I want us to see here. Christ has the key and is the key that meets all the complex needs that are required for a fallen creation and a fallen world and a fallen humanity. We say that Christ is the key of David. That's how we pronounce it. That's how the antiphone goes, O key of David. We sing, O key of David. And yet in our text, the Lord says only that he holds the key of David. He governs the great and final kingdom that will come upon the earth. He holds the key of governance over all of history and he will bring it all to a purposeful end that will bring glory and honor to God. This is an image of Jesus Christ as the Messiah holding all authority to carry out all that is required for the restoration of paradise over all of his creation. It's the zenith of our salvation, not just my salvation, not that he forgives my sins, but that he restores all things. This is all in his hands. And it's all that we truly and deeply and profoundly need and long for. It is what will bring to us the final ending point of all meaning and all significance and all that is good and absolutely right and true. It will be the thing that brings salvation to its completion. And when we think of salvation, we think of it in a number of ways. And salvation is actually a rather complex thing. There are things we have to be saved from. There are things we have to be saved for. There are things that we have to be saved unto. I have to be saved from sin's penalty and from sin's power and from sin's presence. And I have to be saved from the estrangement that sin has caused between myself and God and myself and others. And on more than one occasion, and you know, I get together with pastors on a regular basis and we talk about challenges we have. And most of their challenges are dealing with conflicts within their own fellowship. It's dealing with conflicts between a husband and wife or between one individual and another individual. And it's complicated and it's complex. And oftentimes, the problems they're going through have a long history and go back a long way. And there are all kinds of issues and, and they can't unravel it. And that's the key. They can't unravel it. They're just to be teaching God's word faithfully and bringing the word before people and trusting the spirit of God to work in a powerful way. The other day I told somebody, I really would like that my primary counseling time took place between 11.30 and 12.15 on Sunday mornings. That truth would just bear in and bear in and bear in and the Spirit of God would work it. But it's complicated and it's complex and oftentimes in our lives there just has to be a pragmatic of, Lord, you know, I'm going to be obedient to you but you're not going to sort out all the factors that are going to bring my ultimate happiness in this moment. My goal is to bless you and honor you and be obedient to you and leave that to you. It's too complex. It's too difficult. 
But those are things that we ultimately need to be saved from. But there are also things that we need to be saved for. There are things that God wants to bring us into that we're not ready for. We are being drawn up into his holy presence. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire. We're not all ready to just go into the presence of a consuming fire. And so what God does is he transforms us and he changes us and he pours his life into us and he brings into us his own holiness in order that he might draw us up. He puts his own burning presence within our life and he works it through our life so that he's preparing us for that day when we will shine with him like a star in heaven and burn within the holiness of God's own holy fire. And God has delights, pure, endless, wonderful delights that he wants to pour out upon us. But right now, it would destroy us. It would overwhelm us. We couldn't handle it. The good that he wants to give us, we're not ready for. And so God is even now preparing us and readying us and developing within us a taste and a longing and desire. And he's got to do something in us and work in us so that we're in a sense saved unto all that he wants to give us. But the day is coming. What does the Bible say? We'll run and not grow weary and we'll walk and not faint and we'll rise up like the eagles. God is going to do a great work and he is doing a great work in us and he's moving us in that passion and, and that pathway and he's preparing us for that thing. He's saving us unto wonderful things that we can't imagine and it's a complex thing. It's a difficult thing. And then there are things that he has to save us for. Promises that he has to fulfill and keep. God has made these promises and he's carried them and kept them and he's worked to resolve them all throughout a complex history. He said to Adam and Eve after they sinned that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. God has been orchestrating the movement of all history to that day and age in which Satan will come into his final defeat completely and totally. And, and he's actually said that he's going to put him under our feet as well and crush him under our feet. So thoroughly will he conquer, so thoroughly that he'll take weak as we are, he'll grant us the power that is within himself that we might crush him as well. And God you know, made promises to Abraham that out of Abraham he would bless him and he would bless his family and it would become a great family and that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed and that he would give them a land that they would occupy as a land of promise and that meant God has to preserve that people and keep that people and God has to restore and hold the moment in time in which God will fulfill that promise to that nation and that people and Paul tells us that right now, because of their unfaithfulness, the people of Israel have been pulled out and they've been taken out of this tree of God's saving and redeeming work, but that there's coming a day when they're going to be grafted back into it. And if there's been blessing to us, who are not Jews, because they were pulled out and he put us in and he grafted us in, how much more will be our blessing when one day God fulfills all of those promises? But it's an intricate thing that God is navigating through all of history to bring to a complete fulfillment. God promised David that out of his house would rise up one who would rule in righteousness forever. and He would reign over all the nations and all the nations would come and bring their tribute to him. God's working that out as well. And then for us, God's promised that he would receive us unto himself if we believed in him and he'd forgive us of all of our sins and he'd wash us and he'd cleanse us. He'd never leave us and he'd walk with us through all the challenges in our life and that he would give us his spirit to empower us and work through us and that he would make us a light in this life to others to be ambassadors for him and he's promised us that he's gone to prepare a place for us that where he is there we may be also and all these promises wonderful promises we're saved for those things
They have to take place. It's a wonderful thing, but it's a complex thing. There are issues that demand an intricate, complete solution. The Lord Jesus said a number of really hard things that people couldn't endure all the time. You remember in John chapter 6, he confronts the multitude that's around them that saw him multiply the loaves and the bread and they wanted a little bit more food for their belly and the Lord Jesus said, actually, I'm the food that comes down from heaven. And what you really need is me. And uh, they didn't like that. You know, it was like, don't tell us that. We're not ready to receive that. Instead, the Lord Jesus didn't back away from his head, but he pushed in more and more into those statements. He became a little bit more graphic and more plain that he was one whom they had to be willing to, in a sense, accept the scandal of faith and belief in him entirely in a world that was rejecting him. And they had to entirely give themselves to imbibe him and take his life completely if they wanted the life that he gave. And in John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58, it kind of culminates with these words. Jesus says to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He just built it up a little further. Well, this is too much for us to hear. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. That was too much for a number of these individuals to take. At that point in time, we're told that many of the disciples went back and they walked with them no longer. It was too radical. It was too scandalous. It was too strong a call for complete and utter turning over their lives for all the issues of their life on Jesus Christ and imbibing Him. The Lord Jesus turned to his disciples when they were walking away and said, Do you also want to go away? And Peter gives this answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's almost like Peter said, We've checked it out, Lord. We've checked out all the answers that people are giving, and you're the only one who's giving the right answers. You're the only one who has an answer for all the needs of our life. You're the only one who can work and put together all the complexities and odd angles of our life. It's to you that we look to. G.K. Chesterton tells of a moment when he began to see that Christianity was true. And it was when he began to understand how completely Jesus Christ and his work answered all the complexities and the demands that come from a complex life. How the Lord Jesus, in a sense, had an answer for all the odd shapes and angles and wild and drastic demands that Sinful men need to have answered to be brought back and restored in God's salvation. That's when he realized that Christ was the key, the key to it all. Here's what he writes. When one once believes in a creed, one is proud of its complexity, as scientists are proud of the complexity of science. It shows how rich it is in discoveries. If it is right at all, it's a compliment to say that it is elaborately right. A stick might fit a hole or a stone a hollow by accident, but a key and a lock are both complex. And if a key fits a lock, you know that it is the right key. Jesus fits the lock of all I need all you need all that you need in being humbled desperately for your sin 
recognizing that in and of yourself you're a monster of iniquity. Jesus fits that lock by revealing sin to you on the cross. All that you need in knowing that you are made in the glorious image of God and that you have the capacity and the potential to reign as priest with God and to actually bear or receive the worship that overflows from God's throne itself. And Jesus exalts us in that truth as well. All these strange angles, all these needs, and then all the complexities of life that we can't deal with or bring our answers to. Lord, thou knowest. Lord, thou knowest. We trust in you. You have the key to all things. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. I probably should have said, as just a pastoral note, there are a lot of challenges in our life, and I've told people on a number of occasions, everything that I've ever worked really hard at, I failed at. You know, if you work hard to succeed or you work hard at overcoming some conflict with an individual and setting it right, everything I've ever worked hard at, I failed at. I just don't, by the force of my ingenuity and power and efforts, can't make certain things happen. But everything that I've trusted Jesus for and I've rested in Him, He's proved Himself. He's proved Himself able and capable at just the right moment of opening up doors that I could have never opened and that no man can close when he opens them. So what is the hard and complex thing in your life? Above everything else, it's how in the world could God save a wretch like me? Christ is the answer to that question, and he is the answer for everything else you're facing. He holds the key. Go to him, will you? Trust in him. And while you wait for his answer, rest in him. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministries, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.